Have you ever done that? Have you ever listened to a song like for months, sometimes even years, and then you realized you were singing the wrong lyrics? Um, since we're in a series called Carols right now, where we're just looking at some of the Christmas carols, I got to thinking, are there certain Christmas carols where if we just hear them, we sing the wrong lyrics to them, or we hear the wrong lyrics? Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe you do that and don't even know it. Um, I, I heard that, you know, you know the song, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen? I heard there was a group of kids singing that song, and instead of singing, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, they were singing, Get Dressed Ye Merry Gentlemen. <laughs> it, it actually makes more sense if you think about it. I mean, what does God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen mean anyway? So, it makes a lot of sense. When I was a kid, when we would sing the song, Joy to the World, which we just sang a minute ago, um, when we get to that last verse, that says, he rules the world with truth and grace. My grandparents' names were Bruce and Grace. So naturally, I would just belt it out, he rules the world. On purpose, though, I didn't do it because I didn't know any better, you know. He rules the world with Bruce and Grace. I probably sang that into my 20s even, who knows. Well, anyway, um, you know, one of the all-time Christmas favorites, if you ask people, is O Holy Night. And it can evoke a lot of emotion when you heard it sung, especially when someone sings it well, right? If someone doesn't sing it well, like me, it may evoke emotion too, but all the wrong kind of emotion. But there are some lines in the song, Oh Holy Night, that if you don't really know what they say, might leave you thinking, what was that line? For example, the line, long lay the world in sin and error pining. I mean, not only is it hard to understand what it's saying, what does that mean? Let me let you listen to it once. We're going to watch Jordan Smith, who won The Voice a year ago. He's got a phenomenal voice and does just an amazing job on this song, Oh Holy Night. But just listen to him sing that one line out of the song, Long Lay the World in Sin and Error Pining. See if you can make it out. Here we go. Yeah, it's hard to understand, isn't it? Leaves you going, what, what did he just say? Long lay the world in sin and air pine. If you've never heard that song, you might listen to it and go, what did he say? You know, like, sin to bear, keep trying, you know, or cinnamon and pie or something like that. It probably wouldn't make any sense, but then a lot of the lyrics we sing that we don't know correctly don't make a lot of sense, do they? And, and the word pining, what does the word pining mean anyway? Well, this is a powerful, powerful song. And when you know the story behind the song, when you know the history of the song, I think it helps you appreciate it even more. It was written in the mid-1800s. A priest in Paris, France, asked a French merchant and a poet to write a poem to Luke chapter 2. And as you know, Luke chapter 2 is that very familiar version of the Christmas story. It's the one that Linus reads on stage every year, right? And the French merchant's name was Placide Capot. Interestingly enough, Capot was known more for being a gifted poet than his church attendance. 
So I'm sure he was shocked when the priest asked him to pen a poem for Christmas. So even though he lived kind of on the wild side, he was happy to share his poetry with the church. Well, Placide wrote the poem in French, of course, and he felt so strongly about what he wrote that he asked another friend of his who was also not a Christian to put the poem to music. So Adolf Adam wrote the tune that we're so very familiar with. The French title of the original song, if you were to translate it literally, was Midnight Christmas. It premiered in a church in France in 1847 and was sung by an opera singer by the name of Emily Laurie. And when it was first heard, it blew people away. It caught on very quickly, it became very popular. However, when church leaders found out that it was written by someone who wasn't a churchgoer, they wanted to ban it from the church. But it was so popular by then, they just couldn't stop it. Well, an American minister, John Solomon Dwight, translated it into English in, ninth, or excuse me, in 1855, and it immediately became popular in the United States as well. In 1906, the first AM radio broadcast took place on Christmas Eve. So the Canadian-born man by the name of Reginald Fessenden, when he broadcast the very first radio broadcast, read part of Luke 2, then he picked up his violin, and he began playing the song, O Holy Night. So the very first AM radio broadcast was O Holy Night. O Holy Night... The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. We can only imagine what it would have been like to have been there that holy night in Bethlehem. What if you had a front row seat that night? What did they hear? Do you hear a baby crying? Do you hear the sounds of animals? What did they smell? Probably the stench of animals. What did they feel? The chill of the night air? Straw between their fingers? What did they see? Were they watching it unfold by candlelight? Well, we have the biblical account, but beyond that, it's really left to our imaginations, isn't it? The song touches on what was really happening, though, in the world when Jesus was born, because the next line of that song says, long lay the world in sin and error pining. Now, what does that mean? Especially the word pining, right? When I think of pining, my mind goes to a pine tree, but it actually has nothing to do with that. Pining means a deep longing or a yearning for something almost in a painful way. And the reality is that this is what the Christmas story was like in the Bible. People were yearning for change. They were just tired of pain and injustice and evil. Sound familiar? One reason this song is so well-liked is because of the next line we read in the song. And here's what it says, Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. You read that and you go, something 
is about to change. When he appears, whoever that is, this change is going to make you feel different about the way you feel about yourself, and it's going to make some sort of difference in the world. Somehow, when you read that line, it makes you feel like you matter, that you are worth something. It doesn't say circumstances are going to change, but apparently your attitude and perspective can. How? Well, this person is going to bring hope. Listen to the next line of the song. A thrill of hope. A weary world rejoices. Our world's pretty weary, isn't it? Our world is longing for hope. Destructive hurricanes this fall, mass shootings in Vegas a few months ago, racial tension, people and politicians saying disrespectful, hateful, divisive things about each other, the threat of nuclear war from North Korea. I avoid watching the news because it's so depressing. I turned it on this morning just to see what the newscast led with. The first three stories were about a fatal plane crash, a fatal car crash, and a fire that caused injuries. Do you want me to stop? It makes your head just want to explode, doesn't it? Our world is weary. Maybe you are too. Maybe your own personal circumstances are weighing you down. Perhaps you feel so weary, so tired. And it could even be to the point where you're dreading the holidays. One thing that makes this song so intriguing is that it gives a message of hope. There's something to rejoice about here. And it's what the Savior's birth means. It says next, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. If you didn't know the Christmas story, you would say that the birth of some person being referred to in the song is just about to change everything, wouldn't you? Who is this that's coming? And what is this promise of a new and glorious morn? Mornings can do that, can't they? They give you hope. They give you a fresh start. Um, I'm a morning person. I love to get up early, which means I also go to bed early. My wife says that if I continue to go to bed any earlier, at some point in the future, she sees me eating my supper, then going straight to bed. Uh, but mornings, I, I love mornings. I think they're great. How many morning people are here? Let me see your hands. All right, bless you. Look around, night people, all right? Bless you, morning people. Um, I'm almost always up before the sun comes up, and so I get to see the sunrise. Often, when the weather is warmer, um, I'll get up, I'll get ready, I'll drive to the church here in the morning while it's still dark. Then as soon as there's the first sign of daylight, I go out here around the church and I run or I bike or I do both. Just on the roads around the church, these country roads, if, assuming the weather allows. And if it's just slightly dark, in other words, just starting to get light, sometimes out here in the country I meet up with a raccoon, a deer, skunk, even a coyote. I've seen them all near the church here early in the morning. I think most of them are getting ready to bed down for the day. Now, you may know, not know this, but we have some amazing sunrises here at the church in the morning. But, by the way, for you night people, a sunrise is just a sunset in reverse, okay? Think of it that way <laughs> if you need to. Now, I like sunsets, especially if I'm sitting on the beach of the Gulf Coast, and it's before 9 o'clock at night. Um, it's invigorating to me to see the new morning break, though. 
Just as the song says, you know, first you see a, just a trace of light in the eastern sky. Then that light begins to get orange. Then you see the top of a ball of orange. Then finally you see the full sun come up. And before you know it, it's bright and it's full daylight. It's a new day. And I love to be outside on a cool morning when you can feel the warmth of the sun as it comes up over the horizon. Now, when the sun comes up, it means that today can be different than yesterday. And that's why the imagery of this song, I think in that phrase, gives us so much hope. It reminds me of another part of the Bible. Um, It's in Lamentations, a book called Lamentations, in Lamentations 3.23. And here's what it says. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Our Christian faith provides us with hope. And where does that hope come from? That's a key question. Is it that our circumstances are going to change for the better? So you find out your spouse wants a divorce. Is the only hope that he or she will have a change of heart and that you'll be able to reconcile? Or can you find hope somewhere else, even if they don't have a change of heart? You get devastating news about some decisions your child has made. It's ripping your heart out. Is the only hope that you have that your child will have a change of heart? Or can you find hope somewhere else? You find out through some tests that you have cancer. Is it treatable? Is it curable? And what if it's only treatable? And even then, what if the prognosis is bleak? Is the only hope at that point for a miracle? And what if that doesn't happen? Or can you find hope somewhere else? What if it's the death of someone close to you? Where do you find hope in that? You can't change those circumstances. That person isn't coming back. Can you find hope somewhere else? Maybe you're dreading the upcoming holidays because someone is not going to be there or someone is going to be there. (laughs) Or you know when your family gets together, there's going to be tension. And you know that nothing is going to change for the better between now and then. Can you find hope somewhere else? You know, sometimes this time of year we look around at other families or we look on social media and our perception is that it's the most wonderful time of the year for them. Truthfully, most of our families are a mess. And when you read the Christmas story, don't read Jingle Bells and We Wish You a Merry Christmas into that story. People living in Israel when Jesus was born weren't feeling that. It was a dark, despair-filled, hopeless time to live. It started with Roman oppression. The Romans occupied the land of Israel. The Jewish people were unfairly and exorbitantly taxed. Life was just about surviving from one day to the next for many people. Conditions were poor. Freedom from Roman oppression was not on anybody's radar screen. So finding hope that their circumstances would change was not going to happen. In fact, while Jesus was on earth, and even after he came back to life, their circumstances still remained the same. Very little change, except followers of Jesus went from despair to hope. 
a new and glorious morn had broken. So where did the hope come from? Because if they found hope, even though their circumstances did not change, I think we'd all like to know the answer to that question, wouldn't he? It would be nice to know that we could have peace and joy and hope in the midst of our circumstances. In order to get the answer for that, we can go to the Christmas story. You know, we said that Roman control of the area had caused despair. That's the context that we read in Luke chapter 2. You know, the traditional Christmas story starts out this way. Luke 2.1 says, At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. Many of you are very familiar with what I just read because you've heard it as part of the Christmas story. But what that verse communicated was this, despair. Because the purpose of the census was so that people could be taxed even more. The common people through taxation were stripped of their income to the point that they just survived. So when Jesus was born, did that change any of that? No. In fact, remember the story? He ended up being crucified by Roman soldiers. So why, when we read the Christmas story, do we read about peace, joy, and hope? Here are some examples. Matthew 2.10, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Zechariah's prophecy, which was right before Jesus was born, in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 78, says this, because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break up on us. There's that allusion to the glorious morn. Then it says, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide us to the path of peace. So we see words like light and peace. And didn't the angels who appeared say, peace on earth? We read in Luke 10 these words. The angel assured them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Good news, great joy, peace, light. These are all words that give hope in a dark world. And yet, nothing changed about their circumstances. You know, it's not like they tuned into the evening news that night on TV and suddenly all the news was good. The updates Mary and Joseph were getting on their phones weren't good news updates. It was still bad news. The hope came from what Jesus can do internally and eternally not necessarily externally. Not only did circumstances not change for the better, you could make a case that a few years later, when Jesus ascended into heaven, circumstances got worse. People were actually persecuted for their faith in Jesus. But something did change. But what changed was on the inside, on the inside of people. So what changed? They now had hope and joy and peace. Where did that come from? It came from the perspective that Jesus gave them and their relationship with him. Let's start with hope. The thrill of hope, as the song says. There's a fascinating part of the Bible which gives us insight into how we can have internal hope in spite of our circumstances. I referred to it earlier, Lamentations chapter 3. The man who wrote the book of Lamentations was named Jeremiah, and he was a prophet of God. His circumstances were horrible, deplorable. 
One time, he delivered a message from God to the religious leaders, and they didn't like it. So they just beat him and then put him in stocks to publicly humiliate him, where everybody could see him. Another time, the king didn't like what he was saying, so the king had Jeremiah lowered with ropes that were attached underneath his armpits into a cistern, which was filled with mud. They let him sink down into the mud up to his neck and left him there to die. So now that you know his circumstances, listen, listen to what he wrote in Lamentations. You see why his book was called Lamentations. Listen to what he wrote in Lamentations 3, 19 to 21. He said, the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet I still dare to hope. What? How can anyone dare to hope with what he suffered? So here's what he continues to say. When I remember this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. There's that phrase, afresh each morning. How do you wake up to a new morning with old problems? Well, you focus on what kind of God you have. He's faithful. He loves you unconditionally. He shows you new mercies every single day. If you look for them, clean air to breathe, the health to get out of bed, a warm bed, a cup of coffee, and if you take the time, you can find new mercies that are intangible every day. If you're a follower of Jesus, you get to hit the reset button every morning. Every day you wake up with forgiveness from the God of the universe. You have a friend in Jesus. And Jesus has given you purpose in your life for this new day, regardless of your circumstances. Let me keep reading what Jeremiah says. This is verse 24. And I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. There it is again, that word hope. He doesn't say, my hope is in that my circumstances will change. My hope is that my circumstances will get better. His hope is in the Lord. Why? Verse 25, the Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. So it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. We wait for salvation. We have been saved from our sins, but we also have the promise that salvation means eternal life, and that gives us hope. We know how the story ends. Eternity with Jesus in heaven, where there is no more sorrow, pain, sickness, or death. We live with that kind of anticipation if we've invited Jesus into our lives. So back to the Christmas story. When Jesus was born, he brought hope, hope for eternity. That's why he was called Jesus. His name means Savior, or literally, the Lord saves. He rescues. Matthew 121 says, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The next word is Joy. So there's hope, but there's also joy. 
We use this word a lot at Christmas. We sing about it. We just sang about it earlier. We have, you know, the Christmas song called Joy to the World. The Christmas story talks about how the shepherds were filled with joy. Good news will bring great joy to people. However, we already know that the good news wasn't that everything was going to change for the better for people. It didn't. Externally, joy has to be based on your circumstances, right? Maybe a better way to distinguish between internal and external joy is to call external joy happiness. Happiness is based on what happens to you. I'm happy if things go my way, if things turn out okay, if I get what I want. But that's a tough way to live because you can't always control what's going to happen to you. But joy isn't based on what happens to you. It's based on your relationship with God. That never changes. So you can always have joy. Joy that God is with you. Joy that he loves you. Joy that he won't leave you. Joy that he gives you strength during the difficulties. Joy that he can bring good things from the bad that happens to you. Joy that he gives purpose and meaning to this life and can do that even in the bad times. Joy that you can spend eternity with him. That's why Jesus came, to bring joy to your life by providing you a personal relationship with him. So there's hope and there's joy. And then there's peace. Peace on earth, according to the angels. Now let's be honest. Even the most optimistic person might say, peace on earth, not on this earth. Have we ever come to a Christmas where there wasn't strife and conflict or war somewhere in the world? Ironically, there is a conflict almost every single year in the very part of the world where Jesus lived. There is this year. So what does peace on earth mean? And again, it can't be talking about external peace. That's not happening. It hasn't been happening. So clearly it's talking about something that includes internal peace. Here were Jesus' words when he was on earth. John 14, 27. He said, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. That's internal peace. And the peace I give you is the gift the world cannot give. Makes sense, doesn't it? So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I am going away, but I will come back again to you. The peace we have is based on a promise for the future. Jesus is coming back for us. And if we're followers of Jesus, that means we spend eternity with him. That's the context of John 14. Because if you read what he said before he said this, he was talking about when he would come back. But he promises internal peace during this life simply by trusting in him and his promises. But instead of trying to control our whole lives, we have to let him control our lives. So we read in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. When you take the time to internalize all that, hope, joy, and peace, 
That's nothing short of amazing. So here's what you can do. First, let God take your worries and cares. He says, let me do the worrying for you. When you worry, you're trying to control your own life. You're trying to be God of your life. Turning your worries over to God puts him in his rightful place and it lets you live in peace. Second, take heart. The promises you have for the future are bright. And third, fall on your knees, like the song says, knowing how Jesus' birth changes everything for us requires us to respond in worship. Hope, joy, peace. That's why that night was so holy. That's why there was the thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. That's what Christmas truly represents.